Hello, everyone. Welcome to today's uh, Permanente Docs chat, the first one here of 2024. And so thank you for uh, joining or listening from wherever you may be. be. I want to give a shout out to our LinkedIn Live uh, listeners and, and viewers as well. A new, a new thing we're doing this year. Looking forward to, to getting some uh in-person uh, live interaction. Again, I'm your host, Alex McDonald. I practice family and sports medicine here in Fontana, California, as part of the Southern California Permanente Medical Group. And today's podcast is brought to you in collaboration with the American Medical Association. And we have Dr. Uh, Srinivas uh, here. Uh, so Dr. Srinivas, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Dr. McDonald. It's a pleasure to be here with you all. Wonderful. So Dr. Srinivas is an infectious disease doctor, a clinical instructor, and a translational health policy researcher. I want to know what that means exactly. And also an uh, American Medical Association ambassador. And so we are excited to have her here today to talk about storytelling and physicians as storytellers, because that is such a powerful uh, tool that we should all have in our in our our doctor's bag, virtual, of course, at this in this day and age. Um, so uh, it should be a great conversation. We're going to keep this short and high yield, only about 20 minutes or so. Um, if you have questions uh, live, uh, either on the webinar or in LinkedIn Live, make sure you drop those in the Q&A. We'll try to get to as many as those uh, of those as we can. And we're going to jump right in. So, Dr. Srinivas, tell us who you are and, and what you do. Well, so my name is Megan Srinivas. I live here in Iowa, and I wish I was in California right now with the weather that we're having. Right. <laughs> but uh, we'll do this virtually if you're going to make me stay in the snow. <laughs> so I'm an infectious disease physician, like you mentioned. And aside from working clinically, I work in health equity, a lot of rural health equity, both in the U.S. as well as globally. And then I'm also a uh, state legislator, actually. Oh, Wow. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. So you have wear lots of lots of different hats. Um, what tell us a, a little bit more about you know your your state legislative position? So it's basic advocacy for our patients. In all honesty, that's what drove me to run for office. And working within systems that we do, we see how much policy actually impacts the care that our patients can receive. And so honestly, it was using storytelling to try to create change that then put me on the other side of the table, creating the policy and using those stories to drive change. That is amazing. Wonderful. Well, great segue. Uh, so, so again, as you mentioned, storytelling is such a powerful tool. Um, why is it important? This is something that physicians have in our, in our skill set. We do a great job of listening to patients, of treating them and treating them as a whole person not just as the individual problem that they present to us. Mm -hmm. But in order for us to be able to reflect what they're experiencing and how we can better create systems, how we can better do our job and get the resources we need, we should utilize their stories to make others understand what we see every single day. Right. Now, how, how, so there's a couple different layers here. So there's, there's our patient stories um, mm -hmm. that we can help use to, to advocate for, hospital, clinic, uh, system change. Um, but then there's also our own personal stories to connect with patients. Um, and, and how do you use those, I guess, both, both professionally as a physician, as a legislator and, and as an individual? You're right. There's so many different ways in which we can use storytelling at the most basic level when it's interacting with our patients, it's enabling them to know that they're not alone that we understand the path that led them to wherever they are, whether it's in a hospital bed, in the office, more than, than just being something that we read out of a textbook. Mm -hmm. And it's that humanistic connection that enables us to truly understand how we can better treat our patients and create that bond. 
Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I remember I remember this experience so clearly when I was, I believe I was an intern actually. And mm-hmm. I, prior to that moment, I felt like I had to be this sort of like stoic kind of Norman Rockwell vision of, of what a physician is, right? Um, and I had to be the professional in the white coat and I couldn't smile and I couldn't let my personality through. Um, but then once I realized I could just be myself and I'm for those of you who know me, I'm kind of goofball, um, that I could just be myself. And I had so much more fun actually in the exam room. And I was able to connect with patients so much more because I was a person first and foremost, and second of all, a physician. Um, and that's why I'm not worried that AI is ever going to take over our jobs um, because that humanistic connection is what I think drives patients to us and keeps patients with us and and has patients listen to us is is we share a little bit about us in our own stories when we're interacting with patients tell, tell us about your thoughts on that no it's exactly right honestly it was my intern year where i first really discovered the magic of storytelling we had a patient who had been facing a lot of challenges when it came to her health care from both being able to access it from a cost standpoint from the social determinants of health standpoint mm-hmm but then also in processing everything that she was going through. She had had a HIV diagnosis for a long time, which had led to, unfortunately, renal disease requiring dialysis. And it was this whole cascade of issues. And when I was able just to sit with her and talk to her about her experiences, but then also share about my story, about she had an immigrant background and sharing how my parents were immigrants, it was that story that enabled her to see some similarities that allowed her to open up to me about what her real issues were so I could help get her the treatment she needed and overcome the challenges that were actually preventing her from being able to succeed. Uh, I think that's such a powerful story or speaking of stories. um, Well, but having something in common, you find some common point of connection um, with, with your patient and suddenly it just changes the whole dynamic of, of that interaction. I think when I, when I see patients, especially when I'm, I'm meeting patients for the first time, you know, if they're wearing, you know, uh, I, I'm in, in the LA area, if they're wearing a Lakers jersey or a Lakers hat, I tell them about how I'm a Clippers fan, right? And obviously, we that, that creates a little bit of humor and breaks the tension. But there's this commonality of like, hey, we're both basketball fans, right? For mm-hmm. Dessa as an example, and that sometimes little comments like that can really just set the tone and change the dynamic uh, for the for the conversation. Um, what what other tips or, or tricks do you find as individuals in storytelling in, in the clinical setting, um, help us to better connect with our patients? And honestly, it's those small things that you're talking about, things that matter to the patient that you notice and you bring up that are so critical. And in the setting of the last several years, we've actually faced so many challenges as a medical industry, as a healthcare industry, Mm -hmm. with people not necessarily trusting what is being told to them from a scientific perspective. Mm -hmm. But as physicians, we have a very rare opportunity. If we utilize those links, if we talk about the stories of being in our own communities. For instance, being in rural Iowa, where I serve a lot of patients, we had a lot of people who who had some hesitancy towards the vaccines. And I didn't approach it as we need to talk about the vaccines because this is the right thing to do. Instead, I approached it from a time when I was scared about doing something or how I viewed the vaccine being made as akin to making a batch of brownies. I do a lot of food analogies in my storytelling. Great. We'll get along well. (laughs) And it was really those type of of conversations that over time, I would say about four out of the five patients that would come to me 
that initially were vaccine hesitant eventually ended up getting a vaccine. Mm-hmm. And it's really just approaching it from that humanistic standpoint where we can really create that clinical change. Yeah. I think for me to use that, that vaccine example to go a step farther, I think the number one thing that has convinced my patients to get vaccinated is, is when I told them that I got my flu and my COVID vaccines this fall. And I also got my children their COVID and flu mm-hmm. vaccines this fall. And and that that example and telling my story that it, I care about my children and I want them to be protected is the most powerful thing than any number or statistic uh, out there. And, and so exactly. I always use those examples. Exactly. And in all honesty, also even just telling your story about, yeah, the 24 hours after I got it, I had horrible fevers. It sucks. I'm not going to lie to you. Yep. But I also much more protected now for the future. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, so you, you mentioned on kind of, uh, you know, medical misinformation and disinformation, which is now sort of run rampant online and social media. How can, how can visit physicians help to sort of reclaim that space and reclaim that narrative, or just even just help to combat some of that misinformation, uh, both kind of individually one at a time, but also on a systems level or even on social media. Do you have any recommendations from that perspective? Definitely. So on a one-on-one basis, it's the fact that we are in a unique position where people are coming to us because they already have a certain level of trust for the profession and they're often seeking help or wanting to be reassured they're healthy. We're already in a position where there's an inherent amount of trust laid upon us. And if we utilize that to build upon it and create those connections, then we really can work to understand why somebody might have misinformation or disinformation that they're believing Mm-hmm. And then work to, to to tell them why that might not be correct. And it's building upon those relationships that enables to do, us to do that. But then on the grander scheme, once again, we still have doctor behind our names or MD behind our names or DO or MBBS, whatever it might be, the doctor in front of our names rather. And having that title also puts you in a, in a spot in society where people inherently think that you are trying to help. Mm-hmm. Stats have shown that we are one of the most trusted professions out there. So when we use our social media to magnify stories of people who've had good experiences, our own stories, or even just the information in relatable small chunks without jargon, trying to break down the the nature paper that went into all the different cohorts, but break it down into small words that that are things that people want to read in a two-sentence snippet on Twitter or X then it actually can really impact somebody's decision-making. Don't highlight the misinformation. Don't reshare the disinformation. Mm -hmm. If you see something, instead, find a way to frame the correct information and put it out there. Because whenever we retweet, re-highlight, quote tweet, whatever it is, we actually are highlighting that for more people to see. Right. Yeah, that makes a, a perfect case. And I, I, I do a lot of social media work, uh, as, as many of you out there know, and just trying to stay positive and focus on focus on my voice and my story and not trying to directly respond to some of those other things, because you just get stuck in the in the the, the vicious uh, uh, echo chamber, uh, in some respects. Um, and so I always tell people that if you're going to use social media, just kind of set your framework and just kind of stay with your own voice and ignore the trolls um, because because they're out there. And in fact, if you're not trolling, you're probably not doing something right. Uh, so I tell people getting trolled is a badge of honor when it comes to social media. 
It truly is. It honestly is. And sometimes it's really good for a, an evening laugh too, when you're sitting around the family table. <laughs> that is that is very true. That is very true. Um, so, I mean, you kind of touched a little bit on how physicians are uniquely situated to tell, tell our own stories and, and tell, tell patient stories to some degree. But, but I have a, a good colleague who likes to say that stories lead to outcomes, right? We, we, as much as we like to think about it, we don't legislate based on data and statistics. We really, really legislate based on anecdote and those stories. Um, so how can we use patient stories and our own stories to really impact uh, advocacy and policy, be it at the clinic, at the hospital, at the state, at the national level? Honestly, every single speech that I ever start when I'm talking to my fellow legislators, I relate it back to somebody in my district or a patient I saw in the hospital and how this situation in life impacted them and how if we pass this particular law, it could fix the issue. Mm -hmm. Putting it into the perspective of this is actually happening in real life. This is how it's happening. Changes the narrative completely. From a cognitive standpoint, humans always want to connect with something that's real, that's going on. Mm -hmm. And theoretical theoretical um, conjecture is really hard and abstract to actually think about how and why we need to do something. Why is this so important? Why is this so critical in the moment? So when it comes to whatever issue you're talking about, bringing in a patient themselves to tell the story, and if the patient can't come in, then asking them if it's okay, changing their names, their initials, the information, the HPI, of course, if you can share the the experience that they had to see if you can prevent other people from, from experiencing that same thing is so powerful. Yeah. I, I, you, you know, connecting with an individual, connecting with a patient, obviously with patient permission, um, I think is so incredibly valuable. I remember the first time I went to uh, the state capital and sort of met with legislator, I was sort of blown away by how, how little they knew actually about, about medicine. Um, they use the term, podiatrist and pediatrician interchangeably. They didn't realize those were two different, very different medical specialties. Um, and, and kind of helping them to understand with a person or with a, with a story from a patient, particularly from our medical students, they actually listen to them more than, you know, the, the more seasoned physicians, if you will. Um, and I was just kind of blown away by that experience. And I try to tell people, look, you, even though you don't feel like you think you're just one person, your voice is so small, you, again, as you mentioned, you have that MD or DO after your name, and that's incredibly powerful. And then our patient stories are even more powerful to help educate others and help them understand the the, the gravity and the scope of, of the potentially well-meaning or very mm -hmm. flawed legislation they're looking at. That's exactly right. Honestly, uh, the reproductive health is a perfect example of this. We had a huge debate in Iowa this summer, and the vast majority of legislators have no actual understanding of what's happening in medicine. Mm -hmm. They have never been in an office that they are not the patient in. And breaking down these technical terms is really difficult, especially when it's also put in policy. So talking about it from a patient perspective is so much more effective. People were making assumptions, and the rhetoric out there was, not actually what our data shows. They were saying people are just using abortion as birth control. And as we know, the data shows that that's not true, that abortion is utilized for so many critical medical situations, um, and unfortunate situations when many people don't want to have an abortion. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to share the story of one of my patients who had tried to get pregnant 
for two years, finally got pregnant, but then unfortunately around seven, eight weeks of pregnancy discovered she had leukemia Mm. and we had to use an abortion to be able to give her chemotherapy so she could live. Right. Right. And it was just a complete change of perspective for so many in the room who didn't realize that that is the same procedure we use in those situations. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of, again, it's kind of scary and there's so much hype and rhetoric around some of these very emotionally charged issues. I think abortion being a great example, but again, realizing that the person at the end of the end of that conversation is a real living, breathing person and, and, and directly impacted. Um, so we have a question here in the chat. So, and if there are other questions, please, please drop them in the Q and a box. Um, in terms of physicians as storytellers, do you think there are certain sort of authors or speakers who sort of set the bar, so to speak, when it comes to telling stories and sharing stories uh, off the top of my head, I think of Atul Gwandi, but are there any specific people that, that, that are kind of high on your list? He's great. And I always, I always love reading uh, Dr. Farmer, Paul Farmer's books. Oh yes. And him speak. Um, he was, I mean, he was just such a magnetic personality, but then mm-hmm. having him share his stories of things he saw in real life, people had no idea that that situations like the ones he described even existed. And somehow he was able to utilize storytelling to create this massive movement mm-hmm. that has changed healthcare throughout the world. Yeah, that's a, that's a great example. Do you have any recommendations for individuals maybe who, who want to you know, find their voice, who want to kind of share more than one-on-one with individual patients who want to try to get out there. Do you have any recommendations or advice for those individuals who, who want to better share their own stories and their patient stories? Mm-hmm. So the Mary Medical Association actually has free resources available on their websites too, surrounding storytelling, just because we know the more physicians were able to reflect their stories, the better it is for our patients, both in the clinical care, but also in creating the systemic change that we need to mm-hmm. advocate for our patients. So th- that exists. And then there's also um, the American Public Health Association has some tools for it. A lot of individual organizations. So for myself as an infectious disease doctor, Infectious Disease Society of America, we also have some resources available for free. And then actually there's some other places that, that give great tips on this too. So the Mullen Institute, which is out of GW, they do a lot in the health equity space and they have a lot of storytelling tools, the Rockwood Institute, And then um, there are also tools out there specifically to different niches in medicine. So if you're in HIV medicine, Mm -hmm. uh, if you're looking at LGBTQ um, medicine, if you're looking at, honestly, probably even sports medicine, actually, there is really good tools out there too for yourself that talk about how you can relate to athletes at every single age spectrum uh, and utilize your stories to be able to better connect. So there's a lot out there on these different organizations' websites. And honestly, most of it is all free. Yeah, that that's actually a, a really a great example and how there are so many resources. I one one thing that I actually share on my on my online bio, um, on my you know, Kaiser Permanente page, I actually share a little bit about my experience as a professional athlete and then getting injured. I was actually hit by a truck mm-hmm. and was an, was a patient uh, for for a number of a number of months or years actually. Um, and patients will actually come in. Sometimes they'll actually seek me out because I shared even just like my little blurb, there's like one sentence on my bio online about my kind of my story and my experience, which led me to medicine and sports medicine. A lot of times patients come seek me out because they're like, hey, well, I know you got injured and I'm, I'm injured. And I want I want a doctor who understands where I'm coming from. Um, and so that's a one one quick, easy way that that I always encourage my my fellow colleagues to share a little bit about themselves kind of in a, in a print bio, wherever your organization may have those. 
That's awesome. And in all honesty, just humanizing ourselves too, in the sense of, you know, if you're, if you're out and about and taking your dog on a walk, taking just even a picture of your dog and saying, Hey, we're going on a walk around the lake Mm -hmm. or um, doing a quick video that you can say, Hey, it's a beautiful day outside. I I love going on a walk around the lake with my pup. Like Mm -hmm. those kind of things. Patients see that on Instagram. They see it on TikTok, on Facebook. And and they think, okay, this is somebody who, who has a normal life, who's more like me than I think. And they start to really connect with you on a different level that make them willing to trust you more. Yeah, that's such a great example of just sharing a little, a little about who we are in our regular uh, day-to-day lives. It doesn't have to be anything fancy or special. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well, again, stories lead to outcomes. And I think that's kind of I, that's a, a theme that I hear you kind of saying over and over again is if we really want to make change, we need to start with stories um, because state stats and, and data doesn't doesn't really move the needle, even though that's helpful for us as in our physician scientist brains. Um, okay, last question. Um, what makes you most proud to be a physician? It's really the interactions I have with my patients. Mm-hmm. I still remember one patient when I was beginning my fellowship down in North Carolina in ID and I walk into his room and he just looked up at me and stared at me for a second with a huge smile on his face. And I introduced myself and I sat down and his exact words to me were, you look like me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think somebody who looked like me could be a doctor at a place like this. And just having that grasp that my patients can connect with me on a different level, that because of that, I want to use my identity to be able to help them and be able to connect with them and make them feel like they can get over whatever struggle it is that they're facing. That's what makes me grateful to be a doctor. It makes it worth it every single day because there is a niche that I can fill that sometimes people feel like they haven't seen filled before. Mm-hmm. Amazing. All right. We're going to end on, on that high note. So thank you so much, Dr. Srinivas, for, for joining us today, for sharing your expertise. Uh, I've really enjoyed our conversation. Likewise. Thank you so much, Dr. McDonald, for, for having me on. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and are not meant to represent the views of the Permanente Federation, the Permanente Medical Groups, or Kaiser Permanente.